non-stop hardcore energy. Unlike any others, drastically changed my life. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. Hey, no thoughts left behind, man. That's my show. This is No Thoughts Left Behind. Hello, hello, hello. Check that new sweet intro out. I want to give a shout out to the artist who made this. His name is Xavier Roy. And I want to thank him for coming in the clutch and delivering that hot intro. And then now that I have an intro, I can finally get this podcast on other platforms like iTunes and Spotify. So stay tuned for that. In addition, I want to say thank you to those that have tuned in and listened to the other episodes. I'm really glad you have enjoyed this podcast. Now, with that being said, let's get the show started. So I'm being joined by Major Wilson. He's my co-host. <laughs> he's I like literally in every single one of these episodes. It's not going to change um, unless he's gone for whatever reason. And we got to continue this without him. I have a career recruiter and uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about what a career recruiter is here. But uh, I have a career recruiter, Mass Sergeant Demo. Can you just can you, you just say something so the people know what? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, I have our pool program specialist and we'll talk a little bit also about what he does but i have gunnery sergeant garrison and could you just say something so the uh, the audience knows what your voice sounds like yeah how's it going everybody and uh i have also a a recruiter here from uh rss douglasville um staff sergeant oliver could you say something as well for the audience yep. hello everyone and uh, as always, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come out here. I know. Hey, hold on a second. We also got a baby in here. We're not, <laughs> we're not like the baby's not in here. Yeah, so we have a six a six week baby, a six week year old baby here. What's her uh, name? Amaya. Amaya. Beautiful. So she starts girl. making noise. Got a lot of hair. <laughs> um, what I was gonna say, what that is, just uh, oh, yeah, like I said, I was uh, I'm thankful for you guys uh coming out here, taking the time. I know some of you guys were like last minute additions i told you like the day before so i, I appreciate you um but what this episode is going to be about is we're going to be talking about recruiting uh what to expect on recruiting duty if you are a going to be a marine that got orders to brc or to your first uh, rs also going to talk about the stressors the challenges the good the bad and the ugly okay um so i'm gonna start off with you mass Demo. you know you've been a career recruiter for how long now been a rec- career recruiter for about uh five years and i've uh, been on recruiting duty for about uh, uh slightly over a decade right and then you were in florida at first right yes sir you were I, started, Jacksonville? I started my uh recruiting career in actually uh rs at uh orlando and who's what, what is now known as rs tampa uh back in 2004 or to be exact january 2005 uh then i transitioned back to the operating forces board out there came back on recruiting duty in 2012 2011 and uh took over station uh stayed out there for uh five years and came out to the beautiful rs atlanta right so you were obviously you started in orlando and then you came back what has been i'm just i'm just curious for myself um what has been the major difference between working at rs orlando and then rs atlanta uh, the major difference, I believe, is expectation. I think expectation changes, uh, command changes, and uh, requirement changes. I think back in the days in 2004-ish, 2005-ish, uh, we was going through a plus-up. Uh, we was going up to 202,000, and, you know, we were, we was accepting certain 
individuals in the Marine Corps that, you know, we obviously know now that that was bad to the Marine Corps. So the Marine Corps looked at the standards and definitely increased the standards. And I think the expectation of what we were going through back then and the expectation of days is, uh, is different. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. It did. Would you say recruiting is harder now than it was when, when, when you first started? I think if you ask me, recruiting is recruiting. I, I, I truly believe, you know, it's just a matter of getting in front of people, finding the right individuals, is understanding the math. If you, you're looking for, you know, 300 people a year, hypothetically, if that was the mission, uh, if you talk to enough people, you're going to eventually find those 300 people. I think going back to expectation, because the expectation was that you had to find a certain amount of numbers, a higher number of, of applicants back in the days, we worked a little harder. Um, administrative side wasn't as important. Uh, so we work harder. We found more people. Today, it seems like the administrative side is a little more important. Uh, so the recruiters may come off like they don't work hard, but they still work hard. Uh, so I, it's about the same. The hours are the yeah. same. Um, there are some regulations in place now that keeps us from working like the hours we used to work. I remember working at two in the morning, three in the morning area canvassing. Things like that don't happen anymore. But if if you ask me, it's about the same. Yeah. So uh, you said you you said a word area canvassing. Can you uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, sir. Area canvassing is basically when a recruiter uh, has on his schedule to go out and canvass the area where you're basically going to Walmart or one of your local eateries, and you're talking to individuals that you believe are qualified to join the United States Marine Corps. You're also talking to individuals that you believe you can make contacts, contact with uh, to form relationships within your community. Uh, that way, your, 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 your tour on recruiting duty uh, can be a lot easier. Uh, you're, you're a brand. You know, Walmart wasn't created overnight. Home Depot wasn't created overnight. They, have, they had to establish yourself. So same thing. As yeah. a recruiter, you got to come out here, you know, you got you to gotta create a brand. So as you go out in area canvassing and find people, you're also uh, finding contacts and making yourself known in the community. Okay, yeah. So from, uh, you know, I get to talk to the recruiters all the time, um, especially when we have events like All Hands, have a little bit more time. I just like to ask them questions about recruiting duty because, you know, because I might one day come out here. Um, so you know, I'm just I'm just curious, but uh, it's it seems to be that uh, acing area canvassing the that's the that's a recruiter's favorite I guess form of canvassing, right? Um, was that your favorite, and is it the most effective as well, or would you say something like a telephone call or a home visit or a school visit would be more effective? As the eighty four twelve, you asked me, I'm gonna tell you the balance. If you balance yourself and you do all of it, uh, that's probably the most effective. But as an individual, I'm going to definitely say area canvassing because you get to see who you're talking to. You get to screen, you know, face to face who you're talking to. You get to see, hey, okay, this individual is within height and weight standards for the Marine Corps. Where are the tattoos? You know, um, what is your uh, uh, nonverbals? What is your facial expression? When yeah. I walk up to you and say, hey, have you ever been interested in the United States Marine Corps? You know, those are the things that you see uh, for area canvas, which makes it my favorite. Overall, I think recruiters today favorite would probably be uh, digital communication. Uh, I think you can reach a lot more individuals with a digital platform today 
and a lot of recruiters are taking advantage of digital communication. Yeah, we actually have a recruiter in here who has a very popular Instagram page, uh, Stassong Oliver. I think, how many followers do you have now? <laughs> she, she's like, it doesn't matter. I need more. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, just want to go to you, Stassong Oliver. Um, tell me from, tell me, I guess, when did you find out you were going to recruiter uh, school or when did you find out you're going to be a recruiter? And tell me just pretty much along the way, just everything that a Marine that just got orders, right, should expect and should know. Okay. And just any advice. That's a, okay. That's a lot. But um, I think for starters, um, I found out I had recruiting orders when I had got back um, from a rotation to Australia in Murph D. Um, with my unit and I had originally put in a package for DI because it was coming up at that time in my career Um, but then I found out that I got selected for recruiting duty and initially I you know I know a lot of people have that complaint or issue or whatever Um, but I had always had this dream that I was going to be able to make Marines and kind of start Marines off the way that I started off and the way that I wanted to be started off Um, so it was hard for me to accept at first but then I kind of reached a point where you know, I realized that for me, I don't know everybody's faith, but for me, God has a plan. And there was a reason that I needed to be on this duty. There was something that I was going to be able to take from it that I don't think I would have gotten if I would have been a drill instructor. Um, so once I had accepted it, I decided to never look back. I didn't want to be that person who said, um, you know, well, I was going to be a drill instructor, but, you know, not not to yeah, put yeah. myself in that position. Yeah. There's something I say all the time is uh, don't stress about what you can't control. You know? Exactly. So the Marine Corps wanted to you know, send you to DI, then you go DI, exactly. even though you wanted to be a recruiter and then vice versa. So yeah, but then I, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, once I actually weighed it out, as far as me as a person, I realized that some of my, my better strengths were talking to people. And I, I came out here thinking I wasn't going to be a good recruiter because I was so hostile <laughs> as a person. Um, you know, I figured I'd be like, do you want to do this or not? But I actually came out here and realized that my personality, it worked out to my benefit, you know, because I can approach people in a way that they're not used to being approached. And I think that that actually benefited me. But like I said, it took a while for me to accept it. But once I did, I didn't look back. Yeah. Um, so that was just my, my beginning experience with coming out here. Now, when I went to BRC, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what you don't know as far as information is concerned. Um, so for anyone going to recruiting school, obviously I would recommend paying attention in class as much as possible. But more than anything, I would recommend holding on to the reference material that you get while you're in training. Because I noticed the first year I came out here, you know, you're expected to hit the ground running. That's like any job you do in the Marine Corps, except you have, you know, a couple months of training and you're expected to know the job as if you've been doing it since you joined the Marine Corps. Um, And with that being said, it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day business and so caught up in I got to get my first couple contracts that you forget your basic skill steps. You forget the MC3 that you learn while you're in school, your communication skills. Um, a lot of people come out here and, you know, you, can't, you can only prepare someone so much for rejection. You can only tell them what it's going to feel like so much. You can't really, yeah, but you can only prepare someone so much for the actual experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I came out here, I knew people were going to say no, that they didn't want to join the Marine Corps, but I didn't expect to be threatened when I called people's houses in certain areas. Um, I didn't expect for people to look me in my face and, and basically insult me about how much better the other services are or their, their kids' college plan or, you know, the fact that they don't support 
whatever politics are going on, etc. Yeah, I don't and even want hard. to get into why like, you get such a negative stigma compared to the other the other branches. So that's that's a different. Yeah, I mean, and it's a whole other thing, you know, just because we're the the military forces. So when people the recruiting offices are usually together, um, but it's it's easy to get in your feelings yeah. when you're out here because you don't know what that feels like. You're, I did have a question for you. Um, I find often kind of going back to the drill instructor piece and why is it a competition between being a drill instructor and being a recruiter? What do you mean? That's what you find. You find most of the recruiters I've encountered, they, I won't say most, I say about 50% of them wanted to be drill instructors. Mm -hmm. So why is it either or? Why can't it be, I am a Marine recruiter and I want to focus on that? I don't think a lot of people are able to do that. Yeah, and I think that's a really good question, and I I think it's a a thing that a lot of people wonder. Um, When it comes to being a recruiter versus being a drill instructor, like I said, I I felt like, you know, that was the way that you make Marines is when they're in recruit training. It was the experience of being able to take someone from a civilian and make them a Marine. But since being out here on this duty, I've realized that it's not as much about you know, them going to boot camp. It's the process of getting them in the mindset to get there. It's actually a unified effort more than we even think. Um, before I came out to recruiting duty, I thought, you know, drill instructors, that was it. Like, they're the only ones who knew how to make Marines. But now seeing this, it's kind of like a grocery list. You know, we as recruiters, we have to find the right type of person in the right type of area with the right mindset. And then we got to go shop around for that person. And then once we've got all the ingredients, the drill instructors pop them into the oven. And on the other end, they come out Marines. So it's a unified effort more like now that I've been out here than before I had the experience. So I, I agree that it is a unified effort. Um, and just to kind of answer the question of, you know, as far as it being a competition, I agree. I do feel like, uh, you know, there's a stigma out there as far as it being a competition between drill instructors and recruiters. And I just think because, you know, being a drill instructor just seems a lot more cooler. Um, and that's what most people think about when they think about making Marines. But I mean, coming out here, you know, you kind of see another aspect of it and have a different level of respect for the work that the recruiters put in. You know, it's a stigmatism, in my opinion, of recruiters being lazy. You know, back when I was in the fleet, you would always hear that, you know, uh, you know, the recruiters are lazy. Uh, you know, the drill instructors are the ones that's working a lot. And, you know, being out here as a recruiter, I can I can say that I feel like, you know, there's a lot of hours put in on both duties. Um, but it's just, I think, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but I would agree that, uh, you know, there is some type of competition out there as far as, uh, you know, recruiting versus drill instructor. Uh, I would also say too, though, um, it's almost the same thing when you talk to most Marines and they say, oh, well, uh, I walked in my recruiting office and talked to my recruiter and I, you know, I was an easy contract, but being out here as a recruiter, uh, it was very rare when we (laughs) have individuals walk in like that. And it's just, it just sounds a lot cooler to say, oh, I walked in the recruiting office and I always wanted to be a Marine and I wasn't scared versus uh, the fact that a recruiter probably found you, seeked you out and changed your mind from doing something that you thought was going to be uh, productive and, you know, showing you what it would be like to be a Marine. Yeah. So I would have to argue about the the whole competition aspect. I guess there might be some, uh, but I've, I haven't really noticed it. So from my experiences, right. It's either there are two caliber Marines, well, three, maybe, right? About, I guess, in regards to like B billets. It's either, hey, I'm a drill instructor or I want to go be a drill instructor, you know, and this Marine is very, I guess, motivated. Um, 
fresh haircuts, you know, high boot blousing, so on and so very remote, you know, just the one always out there singing cadence on, on runs. And then you have the Marines who are, I don't want to say they're not motivated, but, you know, just don't have that go-getter attitude. And then you're like, you know what? I'm okay with being a recruiter. I don't want to be a drum instructor. Um, and then you have those that see MSG as, a, as an opportunity to potentially get out the Marine Corps, potentially just to get additional training. So that's uh, that's my experience on it. I know you you wanted to say something on that. Uh, yes, sir. I wanted to hit on the competition piece. I don't know where it started, but I'm assuming probably back in the days, early. You know, recruiting started back in way back then, and then the eighty four twelve uh, community started back in nineteen ninety two. Uh, so I believe somewhere along the line, recruiters were probably lazy, and that's probably where it started, and it just kept on going. And, and I think another reason why the competition is out there or why that stigma is out there is I believe that people don't see the amount of work that recruiters actually put in. Right. You see the actual drill instructors, you see the drill, you see this, you see that. But kids don't understand, you know, the coming to your house at 7 p.m. Yeah, yes, sir. Just so, so applicants and parents and people don't see, you know, the amount of work recruiters put in. You know, a, a recruiter going to your house at 7 p.m. to you know, to, uh, to get a parental consent, sitting down with that parent, making sure that parent understands that decision that, that their kid is about to make. Sometimes that takes a few hours, you know, so that recruiter leaving your house at 10 PM, nobody actually says, Hey man, that's a, you know, that's a lot of time put in. All they see is that fat kid getting the recruit training or that non-Marine getting the recruit training. And they don't realize that we all came from one place. So we see the end result you know, as the drill instructors give us the end result and the recruiters give us the beginning result, the, be- the beginning phases, the beginning phases is not as sexy as the end result. And I believe that's why there's the competition there. Okay. So, so- one of the things that, that jumps out to me in this, I think I, I like what we're talking about, but I think it's real uh, complex. One of the things as a non-recruiter in charge of a recruiting station that I've always not, that I have found troubling is we are unified under the same higher headquarters. The Eastern Recruiting Region and the depot is commanded by the same general. And so I think at the higher headquarters level, we have a responsibility to try to bridge that gap more than it is. Going to the premise that Staff Sergeant Oliver said of, you know, I've said this many times, we make Marines, not Paris Island or San Diego, but the recruiting force and the drill instructor and that has the mesh now i'm the radical guy in the room so i'll throw out the radical idea i can solve this problem right now make me king for a day there's no such thing as recruiting or a drill instructor it's sda and you get picked for an sda and you get assigned and your desires are unimportant we look at you and base the needs of the marine corps i mean they sort of do that already as it is not really. So okay, so I just got histed, right? So I got histed last year. Um, well, you're required to put in. So here, here's here. I don't. I don't mean to cut you off, but this, I left out a part of that. Why are the requirements to be a drill instructor and a recruiter different? To me, that says we're not looking at the SDA pool the same because we're not. A drill instructor how has to have a a a first class PFT. A mm-hmm. recruiter has to have uh, a yeah yeah. yeah. So if if we're right, if we're looking at SDA quality Marines the same, okay, then let's make the standards the same. And I think that would take away a lot of it because right now 
unfortunately, a drill instructor, by the standards of which they're selected to be a drill instructor, can look at a recruiter in Marine Corps standards and say, well, I had to meet a higher standard than you to be here. And it's true. That doesn't mean the individual Marine that may be true, but for the billet it is. So kind of wrapping up what I'm saying, we sit under the same higher headquarters for a reason. And it's not because the Marine Corps doesn't have enough you know, command in general. Maybe they don't, but maybe we don't. But I don't think that's why. I think it's because we all are in this pipeline from a high schooler to a Marine on the parade day. And we've got to bridge that. And I can tell you with, with Sergeant Major Clay standing over my right shoulder, we at this station do a very good job of that. But the effort we put in as a recruiting station to bridge the gap between recruit training and recruiting, it shouldn't take that much. It should be done uh, at a higher level for us okay, and, and yeah. really forced upon us. So I was going to attack it from a different angle, right? You go on the Marines instagram page for example right try to find me a video of a of them talking about recruiting not maybe not talking about recruiting but just a video about a recruiter and what they might do on a day-to-day it's like my sorry i said recruiting is not sexy (laughs) yeah it's not yeah because i could look at but you could probably find one about a drill instructor Mm -hmm. a combat instructor you know so i think i think we got to look ourselves in the face all right if i want to look at the sergeant or the staff sergeant and say, hey, why is this a competition between being a drill instructor and a recruiter? Why, why do you not want to be a recruiter? Well, now let's, let's get real with this. Let's, let's have the uncomfortable conversation. Let's look at the sergeant's major in the Marine Corps. Proportionally, based on drill instructors and recruiters, how many sergeant's majors are, were drill instructors or a recruiter? It's Right, yeah. What do you say, 95% were drill instructors? Now, just do the math. There's way more recruiters than drill instructors. Way more. So, is the Marine Corps not saying to the recruiter, the drill instructor means more to the Marine Corps than the recruiter? I feel like our actions are flat out saying that, unequivocally. It's crazy you said that, sir. I'm over here writing my notes. I exactly what you just said do you think the marine corps glorified drill instructors and i i truly believe that the marine corps the reason why the outlook on recruiters is different is because the marine corps overall glorifies that b billet overall that, and the that's the key billet. they should glorify the drill instructor but in doing so if you don't make a conscious effort you are also undercutting the recruiter oh absolutely yes sir so, I mean, I also would just like to add to, um, you know, for me, I think a lot of people uh, assume just based off of my demeanor that I would make a better drill instructor than I would have a recruiter. And I wouldn't necessarily argue against that. And that may have been one of the reasons why I wanted to come on recruiting duty so I can be more of an effective communicator. Um, but just looking at a recruiter, you know, we have to com- communicate with the community and be approachable so it just comes off differently than someone that is shaping molding motivating and and you know throwing discipline at uh recruits it's just you know again it's just looked at differently and um i think that Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with the way it's viewed i'll take it a, a step further and i'll be a little not putting words in your mouth but i'm gonna 
you know, interpret what you said and spit it out a little differently. I think the Marine Corps does not value the qualities that the recruiter must have to be effective on this job. Because the truth of the matter is, what's the Marine Corps want from a perfect Marine? Run a 285, look good in uniform, yell a lot, make things happen. That's okay, that's good. So a lot of the things, and I, I see this, because we're in a different lens now. Like you're talking to an infantry officer that's in charge of a recruiting station. And we were just talking about this in the hallway. There are a lot of things that in the world of recruiting that are attributes to me as an infantry officer that will make me a star in an infantry battalion that make me hate it here. So it's the exact opposite. And I think we as a, as a recruiting force have a responsibility to not allow that to be the narrative. Recruiters aren't soft. Recruiters aren't lazy. Recruiters are the most amazing time managers in the Marine Corps. There's nobody out here managing their time like a sergeant is. No other sergeant in the Marine Corps is managing their time and resources with resources being one of that time, one of those uh, time being one of those resources the way that Sergeant Miles is, you know? But if the Marine Corps doesn't look at his friendliness, his outgoingness, his ability to get on Instagram and communicate in a way other than yelling out a PFC, then we can't expect him to want yeah. to come out here and do that. So. Um, and I would like to just add on to that, sir. Absolutely. Oh, am I? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I came out here, I, I, like I said, I thought I had a, a mentality that would not be very conducive to the recruiting world because I was very, like I said, hostile. I was just that sergeant who would go and just knife hand my Marines and everybody was disciplined on time where we needed to be. Um, and I thought that coming out here to recruiting duty, I would intimidate and scare these kids. And that's exactly what happened. And I say that because when the leadership abilities that we have and the, the, the scope of a leadership abilities that we have in the fleet is when you transfer it out here to the public's eye, it has to change. You can't come and just knife hand these 17 year olds. and You really can't knife hand their parents. You really can't do it over the phone. You have to be able to communicate effectively and still get the Marine Corps message across. And that's what's so hard. And I can even say, you know, after being a recruiter for the amount of time that I have been, when I interact with drill instructors, I notice that my, my personality has just shifted. Because I can communicate the same discipline, but it's not as aggressive or loud or whatever it is. It's kind of like we learn how to do the velvet dagger thing out here. The same abilities that would make me a great Marine in the fleet, like you said, sir, out yep. here, we, ha we have to tone it down. We don't have a choice. I think you're hitting a key point to anybody listening to this that's really, you know, trying to figure out, well, what's this recruiting thing? What's it mean to me? What can I expect? She hit on it hard right there. You are expected to evolve into something that the Marine Corps has not prepared you to do. And I say this for myself as a leader. The way I lead out here had to evolve. Now, you're a Marine and there's certain parts of being a Marine that never need to go away and never need to evolve. But really what we're asking recruiters to do is we're asking you to come into an unfamiliar environment than what you've done for the last five to eight years of your life and conform to a new norm in order to be effective. While, now this is the part that's uncomfortable to say, while simultaneously maintaining a tether to the organization that requires a certain expectation of your demands and while that same organization is not appreciative of the evolution you're forced to make. And that's, so to that sergeant, 
that's listening to this, trying to figure out recruiting, just replay that a couple times. And from Brian Wilson, that's what the challenge is for you. You know? We talked about it this morning. One of the things that I don't really love about recruiting is I think we give Marines... Actually, I'll save that one. That'll come up later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, You want to say... Okay, cool. Yeah, so... I heard something to prepare yourself, right? So just wanna I wanna ask you, Master Demo, did you when you were recruiting in Orlando, did you recruit in an urban city, urban area? Or was it more like rural? I it was a a, a little bit of both. A little bit of a urban and uh there was some uh I had I, I had some real counties. <laughs> okay. I, I had Polk County, uh Polk County, oh, Florida. I so. yeah, yeah. I really thought that you said Something else, but um, tell me your day to day, right? So from the moment that you woke up, so I want to know your experience as a recruiter there, and then then tell me your day to day as a staff in CRIC because you were in charge of a station. So tell me from the moment you woke up as a recruiter, right? What was your 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 schedule? So as a staff in CRIC, both in a, as a recruiter, first thing I did in the morning, I always PT'd. I truly believe that going back to what the CEO said. You have to maintain a tether back to the United States Marine Corps. You have to. So 0430 every morning, uh, like clockwork. If I went to bed at 12 o'clock, 0430, I got up and I got my, runner, my running in. Uh, I would run in the morning and I would get back to my, uh, my house. After I get back home, I would shower, get to work at 08. From 08 to 10 a.m., I would be in the office. And we would do, at that time, digital communication wasn't out. It didn't exist. So I would be telephone uh, canvassing from that morning time frame. I would be engaging with my boss. Hey, uh, he would give me direction of the day, what we call in brief. Hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to carry it out. But most of the time I would probably do an appointment or some kind of telephone canvassing. Uh, once, I would, uh, once that was over, I would then transition into uh, a school. Uh, my school time was normally between 11 and 2 p.m. Uh, 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. I would be in there engaging like I said, uh, engaging with the, the staff, but uh, primarily the students of the school. I would try to get to know. I, was, I, I treated my schools like I was running for governor uh, or running some type of office. I would try to get to know as many individuals as possible. Uh, the more people I know, uh, it would go in accordance with what, you know, the high school community college program is, gain exposure, build rapport. The more people I know, the more it would eventually come back in a form of yeah, contract. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, why wouldn't you want to communicate with the system principals of those schools and trying to gain you, leverage? And, you and, absolutely right. do. So as uh, one of the things that I believe recruiters run into is being uh, uh, afraid to communicate with the assistant principals and the counselors and everything else because you're not on the same, you think you're not on the same scale. Yeah. As an older Marine today, when I tell recruiters, I always say, hey, when I go into a school, I'm no longer you know, Sergeant so-and-so or Staff Sergeant so-and-so, I'm Fritz. I'm communicating yeah. on that level because we, as Marines, sometimes we have to, we feel like we have to use titles and we feel like their title is higher than our title because I, because of the college yeah. and, you know, military thing. We feel like uh, when I go into a school, I'm not equivalent to that individual. So I'm going to shy away from him and stick to the students. Are you from Orlando? I am from, uh, I was born in, in Haiti, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, okay. raised in Miami. Raised in Miami. And so one of the, the common trends I've noticed is that a, a Marine recruiter 
you know, nine times out of 10 wants to go back to their hometown and recruit out of there. And I think it's because they'll be more comfortable there. You know, if you if you get assigned to a school that you went to or a school in your surrounding city, you know, that might have been like your rival school or whatever. Right. You'd probably be more comfortable walking into that school than, you know, being assigned to a different station and then having a, you know, go talk to the assistant principal, you know, of, of, of a different school. So, Would so you say not? I mean, so for me, I've always been, I've always thought the opposite. I always said, hey, go away from where you're from because you're comfortable. You know, you think you know people, but in reality, you know, I much rather t- hear someone tell me no that I don't know than hear someone tell me no that I do know. And a lot of times these individuals go back to the area, they hear no from individuals that they know, and all of a sudden it's a shock, it's a personal thing. You tell me no, and I don't know you. Hey, now I have to go back to what I know as recruiting, bridging gaps, new opportunity, going back and, you know, hey, figuring it out. But if I go back to my hometown and I go back to my home school, and now that same counselor who used to love me is now telling me no, it's going to be personal and I'm going to be in my feelings about it. Yeah, yeah. let me jump on that too. Like, I think, I, I don't know the stats on this. I know Atlanta has a lot of um, people, we have a lot of recruiters from Georgia. Um, and a lot from the metro area. But I think there is, you got to be cautious with that desire to go home. So I'm about three hours from home, and it's like perfect for me personally, with my parents, my family, and so on and so forth. I would not want to be in Columbia. RS Columbia was on the list when I got selected for this, and I didn't even put it on the list. I didn't want to go there. But I think every recruiter should understand if you're coming out here, you're coming out here to be challenged. You're coming out here to be uncomfortable. I was out in, in uh, what's the mall, Arbor Place Mall, with you, with uh, Stassar Oliver walking around. And one of the most intimidating things you're going to do is walk up to somebody you don't know and have a conversation with them. It's hard. I remember being out with her, and, like, she's talking. We're in Foot Locker, and I see this kid, and I know I should be talking to him, but I'm just like, man, I'm the CEO. I don't have to do it. And I just stand there waiting for her to finish. Like, But now... After doing this for a while, there is no one I want to talk to. I don't care who you are, why. I don't need a reason. And that's the growth. So I would challenge anybody who's listening to this and they're looking at this recruiting role. Step out of your comfort box completely. Oh, yeah. You're from Atlanta. Go to Los Angeles. Yep. You know? Now, it is something to be said about the cultural norms. Like, a staff sergeant Middlebrooks always talk about him. He is, he's ATL all the way. I mean, if he were an indicator, I don't know who is. Like, he needs to be here because of the cultural aspect of it. Just like, you know, a Spanish speaker needs to be in that Spanish uh, community to use the language skills and so on and so forth. But don't don't run back home. And the reality is the mathematics on that don't work anyway. So everybody that's from Atlanta that wants to come to Atlanta, you're not coming to Atlanta. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where if you're going to perform, you're going to perform. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where you are. And like the master said earlier, you know, if you're in a place where you're comfortable, you're probably not going to do as well as someone who's not comfortable. Because I'm from Orlando, and I I didn't even think about Florida not even close. Because I wanted to be in an area where I had to learn how to adapt so that I wouldn't become complacent. I wanted to be able to learn the ropes and and constantly be on my toes. I don't know anything about Georgia. I don't have any family from here. 
I have nothing, no ties to this place whatsoever. But the experience was what I wanted to be able to learn about, you know, the different stadiums and football teams and different things that people like to do and, and try to speak their language, you know, trying to adapt to a new place. That is honestly what made me successful. And another thing that I want people to consider about, you know, going back home is when you don't know the area, when you're unfamiliar with the territory, you, you can't talk about anything. Therefore, you let the applicant do all the talking. You learn more things about those people because you, you allow them to teach Listen you and purpose. you start building rapport. Right. If someone feels like they can teach you something, they want to talk to you. If you're someone who just knows it all, then you know, they don't always want to communicate with you. And everybody's different. But I think that that's one of the things that I like the most about not knowing this area. I can ask all the questions and then people start to open up. We start to build those relationships and that's how you get contracts. And then, you know, some Marines might defeat themselves before they even come out on recruiting oh, yeah. duty because, you know, you're sitting at BRC and it's assignment day. And then you find out you're going to Seattle instead of going back home, where, wherever mm -hmm. that is. And you might just defeat yourself then and be like, well, I didn't, I didn't want to go there. Um, can you can can you talk a little bit about that? Are you from Atlanta, Georgia? No. So, uh, apparently, we got a lot of people uh, in the room from Florida. So I'm also <laughs> from Miami, um, but I had uh, zero desire to go back to Miami uh, to do recruiting. Um, I mean, I, I was thinking along uh, some other lines as, as far as like why I chose Atlanta because I did what we call a by name request. So I requested specifically to come to Atlanta, um, and you know, pretty much bid it for that and and, and got it. Um, the reason behind that is because I, I have, again, no intentions on going back to Miami. And I figured Atlanta was a place that I wanted to, um, you know, relocate after I retire. So I wanted to get, you know, familiar with the area, you know, start meeting people in my community and, you know, start networking and things like that. So that was some of the reasons why I wanted to come to Atlanta. Um, and, and, you know, I'm all about trying to branch out, you know, self growth. And I don't think I'll be able to grow as much uh, as I would in Atlanta as I would have been in Miami because I would have been back in my comfort zone, back to hanging around the same spots that, you know, I was hanging out when I was in Miami. I already been there, done that, all about doing some, some bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, back when I decided to be, be a Marine, you know, uh, my recruiter slapped down some tags on the table called benefit tags. And one of the tags I chose was travel and adventure. And so I'm all about going new places, experiencing new things. Uh, so uh, that was the reason why I picked Atlanta. I, what I would tell a new recruiter is, you know, there may be reasons, you know, that you want to go back to your hometown or whatever the case is. But and I get that. All I would ask you to do is just consider the other options out there. There's things out, um, you know, in places that you may not even consider. You might get stationed in Pittsburgh. And you may, may have never considered being there. But there's things that you experience there and learn there, from there uh, that you won't experience going to your hometown. So uh, I would just say be open um, and just understand that you know you you grow you plant it and that, that's what makes us well-rounded yeah i was uh, i just wanted to just wanted to say something about that you know you know uh if you get you get hissed to come on recruiting duty you might have been in the marine corps for about maybe six years now six six twelve um you should know by now that the marine corps is going to send you wherever the marine corps wants to send you, you know you there's very there's not oft there's not it's it's not very often that you get to pick where you want to go, um, but I I kind of want to argue uh, because, as you know, I, as I mentioned already that I got hissed earlier this year, so there was a I would say an opportunity for me to come on recruiting duty, and I was debating if I wanted to stay here in Atlanta or I wanted to go back home to Los Angeles, and then I would I just 
I was just thinking to myself, well, if I get stationed in Los Angeles, right, I don't have to be in my, in like the, in the, in the town that I grew up in. Um, just, you know, I just need to be in Los Angeles, you know, for, for personal reasons. But at the same time, I, I could re I could potentially relate to the kids that are down there, you know, the ones that are going through the struggle right now. And it would just make it an easier time for me to not have an easier time as a recruiter, but just an easier time to potentially recruit these kids. And I don't think that's so crazy to say. So I don't disagree with you. Um, like I said, there's some, some cultural aspect to it. Um, but this, and I don't want to just sound like I'm just being a hard ass here, but uh, I, have, I have problems with this on many levels. I think the only reason in the Marine Corps we have such challenges with um, Marines being able to perform based on their comfortability and getting what they desire is because we give so many options, right? So wh why does it matter where the Marine Corps assigns you as a recruiter? Why do you even get an option? Yeah. Why doesn't someone else decide for you? Because essentially that's what we said is going to happen anyway, right? We're going to look at it. We're going to see we got a Spanish speaker and we need one in Hiram and we're going to send you to Hiram, Georgia. You know, all the things that you want are a part of it and I just think we we make it a problem because we allow it to be a problem by having so many choices sometimes. Um, and I, I believe that about a lot of things. So I think that has to be a part of the dynamic. I think that goes into another part of it is just like, I'll ask the question, lots of recruiters in the room. I, here, I'll ask the CEO question. Why so many Marines tap out on this duty? Why, why every... Every three weeks, I got somebody in this building, literally tapping whoa, 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 on the side. Hold on, hold on, hold on, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Before we get into that question, we're going to save that question. <laughs> okay, we're going right. to go back to okay. it. Okay. So I got, we'll I go kept it too real. Yeah, kept, no, keeping it real goes wrong. Keep, yeah. keep it real. Keep it real. But. Yeah, and I wanted to step in on that too, just real quick. You know, we, we really got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Like there is no matter where you get stationed, it literally doesn't matter. As far as relating to the community, guess what? There are kids struggling in Los Angeles. There's kids struggling in, in Manhattan, New York. There are kids all over the place that you'd be surprised who you can actually reach and who you can touch and inspire. One of the things that I found most rewarding is being in an area and and literally, you know, walking up to some random kid. He doesn't he I'm a he I'm a she he's a he he doesn't look like me. He doesn't come from the same kind of family I do. He doesn't have the same goals that I do. He doesn't have the same background, the same story, nothing. But I can still engage with that person and be able to communicate with him in a way that inspires him to the point that he decides to change his life forever. It, it's like, you, you know, I don't know which one is better, finding someone who's in the exact same situation as me or finding someone who's absolutely, completely, totally opposite of me and still being able to get the same result. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, wherever you get stationed, you're going to have to perform. So that's it. I think the only time it truly matters, and I don't know if I stepped out, I don't know if you guys addressed this, uh, basically uh, demographics uh, is ensuring that you're not in the wrong town. Uh, if you're a black guy in a town predominantly white, and uh, you don't want to be there uh, for the sake of, hey, they're not used to you being there. But aside as far as station, getting stationed at home or getting stationed close to the community that you're uh, from, Black kids are black kids, white kids are white kids, Hispanic kids are Hispanic kids. The goal is to get to know your community, uh, get involved in your community. That way you can make the mission of the United States Marine Corps and you can still feel good about yourself. So to me, Bloom or Planet, I've, I've heard that from the beginning. I've been to rural communities. 
I've also been to uh, communities where, you know, people can consider racist, and I've thrived in those communities. I've also been called names before, and I made sure that, hey, when I go in that community, I know what I'm dealing with, and the first thing I do, I'm going to hug that person. That way they know that, hey, I don't have the same hate in my heart as, as they have in their heart. I think something that will make a lot of people uncomfortable coming on this duty, and I've watched Marines cringe when I have this real conversation with them is, you know, this is recruiting. And we are in a world where we talk very openly and directly about things like where we put recruiters, where you can and can't go, where you should and shouldn't go. And I've been exposed to that before in the Marine Corps. A lot of people haven't. So again, to that sergeant that's coming on recruiting duty, just realize you're coming into a world where I'm going to look at you and say, all right, you're a female Hispanic sergeant. There's absolutely no way I can send you to West Georgia. Like, they, they, Confederate flags are flying up there. Can't send you up there. Uh, what do you, you know, we're, I'm going to send you to XYZ or wherever is going to be advantageous for you to be successful. And you got to be comfortable with that. You got to be comfortable for being looked at based on your race, your, your uh, gender, your sexual orientation. You know, we got openly, openly homosexual recruiters out here that are strategically placed. Atlanta's one of the gayest cities in America. And, you know, that, you know, that we still are recruiting because it's all about tapping into those communities. So just prepare yourself to walk in and get sized up in a way that the Marine Corps has taught you is not okay to talk about because it's completely okay to talk about because it's how we make our mission. And it's about penetrating into those communities so that we can get our message at the level that it needs to be at. Um, uh, absolutely, sir. I 100% agree with um, I, I remember coming out here the first time. One thing about Marines is that we forget that, you know, we're in we, a bubble. Yeah, we we're forget we're different. We're different. Yeah. We're 100% in the bubble. You'll go to any Marine Corps community, you'll see that Asian guy hanging together. You'll see that black guy hanging together with the Asian guy. Uh, you'll see that multicultural relationship uh, across the United States Marine Corps. Now, when you get into these communities, you don't necessarily see that. And that was a shock for me initially. Uh, but once you understand what the Marine Corps gives you, the tools that they give you at recruiter school, uh, how to build relationships, how to get involved in your community, once you understand that, I think you'll truly have no problems. And, and just to kind of touch on that, uh, it just made me think about, you know, some of the things that I had to deal with uh, when coming out here on recruiting duty. Uh, you know, just I'm, I'm from Miami. I'm from like, you know, inner city Miami. And I just so happen to be uh, station in Camp Creek, which is inner city Atlanta. And there was things that I realized um, that I forgot. And I just got away from being in the Marine Corps for 16 years, you know, being around, you know, a very diverse group of people and individuals and experiencing different things. And then for me to go back to a similar situation in which I was in prior to coming uh, into the Marine Corps, I started to really realize things. Um, you know, I, I just been away from it for so long and it just goes towards, you know, there's the mentality that, uh, you know, people have in certain communities. The, the Marine Corps is just not looked at in the same light in, in other more patriotic areas. Uh, it's, it's things that, you know, we have to deal with uh, in those urban communities that you wouldn't have to deal with in um, a more patriotic uh, rural area. Um, the Marine Corps is looked at as, as being the, the, the branch that people join when they don't have any options or last resort 
or where people go when they're not smart enough to, to be in the Air Force <laughs> um, versus if you're going to a, a, a different area, it may be looked at as the, you know, the greatest thing ever. Um, they want to join because, you know, their grandfather uh, was a Marine and their father was a Marine. They just want to, you know, feel a legacy versus uh, in the area where their grandpa was probably drafted uh, during the Vietnam era. And all they know is, you know, the PTSD that, you know, and I can speak from my own personal experience because my dad was drafted during Vietnam and suffered from PTSD and was, you know, medically retired 100% for it. So that's all I knew until I was sitting down in the classroom and had a recruiter come to speak to us about opportunities in the Marines. And then I realized there was more to the Marine Corps, more to the military in general than just going overseas and or being infantry or having PTSD uh, and experiencing combat. Uh, so it's just being able to tap into those individuals and help those individuals understand that uh, the Marine Corps is a lot bigger than what they may, uh, you know, think or what they may have experienced or been told by other influences. I think you just made a, a key. Did I cut you off? No, sir. Okay. You just made a key point that I think is, is really important for someone listening to this and trying to just kind of read into this recruiting thing a little bit. Everything that he just said is on the front side of the communication. And it goes back to what I was saying about penetrating the community and being able to sell our message. The message is the message is the message. The Marine Corps being sold to any individual, regardless of where they are, what their background is, what their experience is, what their thoughts on the Marine Corps is, it's the same. The challenge is how you come into different communities and get to a point where you are actually able to communicate that message effectively to the people who need to hear it. So, you know, we talk a lot about inner city because everybody in the room has experience with the inner city, inner city. Um, but we can take everything we're saying and apply it to that rural environment too. So like the good gunnery sergeant just said, Camp Creek, you know, Tri-Cities High School, East Point, they're not in love. They're not down there making America great. You know, they're looking at us like Marine Corps, like, nah, I'm not going to be your bullet sponge. But then let's flip the script and let's take that out into rural wherever. And they got the same narrative just in a different way about something that's looking at the Marine Corps in, in, a, in a more negative way. So I think the recruiter has to understand your job is not to sell the Marine Corps in a different capacity. The Marine Corps is the Marine Corps. Our message is the same, and it's not going to change regardless of who you're talking to. It's getting to a point that is advantageous for you to actually get to, able to communicate that message. 90% of Gurney Sergeant Garrison's uh, work in Tri-Cities High School is not selling the Marine Corps. It's getting the young man to listen to him and believe that this is a real option. Once he penetrates that, the Marine Corps sells itself. That's what the recruiter does. Same thing for the chicken farmer in Cartersville. It's looking at you like, Marine Corps, I'm a chicken farmer. Like, my dad's a chicken farmer. I'm going to take over this farm, so on and so forth. That's what you're penetrating. Once you get through that and you start talking about those benefit tags and selling our story, man, it's, it, it gets easier at that point. I would I would argue not being a recruiter, but, you know. For the guy coming out here, definitely understanding the challenges of recruiting duty is, uh, is one thing that you have to get uh, comfortable with. Uh, Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But what I'm trying to say is once you understand that the challenges, it gets a lot easier. I had the benefit or I had uh, the luxury of, of being in both communities. When I was in Lakeland, Florida, I was recruiting 
uh, both in the rural areas uh, where, you know, at that time, President Bush was uh, the, the president. And, you know, I would go into a rural area and they would be like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm joining the United States Marine Corps with absolutely no problem. And I would drive maybe 10, 15 down the block, 15 uh, uh, miles down the street, and it would be a completely different story. It would be like, no, I'm not going to be a bullet sponge. And no, I'm not doing this. No, I'm not going to fight that Iraqi war. And absolutely no. But once you get them to understand, once you get them to understand that, hey, this is an option, hey, that these challenges are there, but this is an option for you, you absolutely have no problem about it. That's just crazy to me. Um, moving on. No, no, no. About what he was talking about, about how just, you know, you, you could have one area and then just go down like 10 miles down the block and then just whole different experience, whole different mindset. But uh, cool. Fast forward, right? A Marine is checking in to uh, their, their first or their recruiting station, right? Their RSS. Um, Going around the room, um, for the I guess for the two recruiters and the eighty four twelve, uh, one piece of advice you should, one piece of advice that you would give that recruiter. What I would tell that individual is uh, to approach it with an open mind and just understand that you're going to face a lot of challenges uh, and frustrations out here, and that's a part of it. You know, you're going to have individuals to your left and your right is going to be going through the same thing. And just understand that, you know, you may be at an RSS and, you know, be area canvassing uh, out there and you could feel alone. But just know that you have recruiters to your left and your right that's going through uh, the same struggles. And if you need help, you know, just reach out to those individuals and, and lean on them uh, for advice and, you know, for them to help you along the way. Because, again, like I said, you know, this, this is a challenging billet. Um, it takes a lot of grit, a lot of grind. It's going to take you out there hustling. It's going to take. Uh, all the motivation that you have within you um, to, 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 to make it out here on this duty and just, again, just uh, stick with it. Uh, understand that, you know, it's 36 months. It's a lot of uh, good and bad out here, but it's going to all, you know, make you a more well-rounded uh, person at the end of it. Yep, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I think in all, what I wish I would have known was really to pace myself. Because I came out here and I was the motivator of all motivators. And what I mean by that is just, you know, you know, that that hard charging sergeant that no one can keep down, that always steps up, always willing to do whatever. But what you have to understand is this duty is a three year tour. Um, I think of it like a, a, a candle. If you have a one wick candle versus a three wick candle, which one is going to burn out faster? The three wick candle, although it's going to smell better and light up the room, it's going to burn out quicker. So don't don't put yourself in a hurt locker. When you come out here, know that you are a sergeant or a staff sergeant or even a gunny with the knowledge of a PFC expected to perform like a staff sergeant, okay? You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you don't know. So just pace yourself. Spend as much time as you can learning and adapting and studying and actually getting the skills that you need before you try to, you know, rewrite the book, okay? Take your time. Obviously, write your contract. Still be a motivator. <coughs> do what you've got to do. But... Ask as many questions as possible. Even if you think you know it, you probably don't. Somebody coming out here, uh, first thing, it's not personal. Uh, nothing out here is personal. When, somebody, uh, when you approach some, uh, an individual and you ask them, hey, do you want to be a Marine? And that individual will tell you, no, it's not personal. Too often, we as Marines, we believe that this is personal. Hey, we believe that, hey, the commanding officer don't like me. We believe that the ARI, the RI shop don't like me or the command group don't like me. Nothing is personal. We're Marines. We're expected to perform. We have a mission. 
the mission is coming from the Marine Corps Recruiting Command. And, you know, just like you, the recruiter on the ground, that commanding officer has a, a job to do. He has to report back to him. So it's not personal. So that's one. Two, get uncomfortable. Get truly uncomfortable. By you getting uncomfortable, eventually you are going to get comfortable. It may take a year and a half. It may take two years, two years. But by your third year out here, you're, you know, you'll see that, hey, okay, recruiting duty is not that bad. But you have to get uncomfortable in order to get comfortable. And lastly, have fun. This is, to me, one of the best duties that, you know, you can, one of the best things that you can do for your life. Have fun. You're going to be in your community. Uh, there's a lot to do in the community. You're going to get to know individuals. Uh, get the mission done so you can and enjoy your, so you can enjoy your community. Uh, Marines forget that there's, we're stationed in places like Camp Lejeune, where we're not in the city, where some of the eateries are, uh, here, they're not at Camp Lejeune, where some of the things that you can do here, they're not at Camp Lejeune. So while you're here, have fun. Kick butt, take names, and have fun. So those are my three things. It's not personal. Get uncomfortable and have a good time out here. Yep. So you find yourself now checking in and it's been a couple months and then I'm going to transition into your question, sir. Um, why do Marines quit on this duty? Right. So a couple months, you find yourself having a hard time. Um, I'm going to give you guys my opinion on it. OK, but I just want to kind of hear from the, from the recruiters first. Maybe it'll sway what I say. But uh, you go. You go ahead. Darren, sir. All right, so what I would say, um, one of the challenges I had is that I came out on recruiting duty uh, a little late, you know, in my career. You know, I was already in for uh, 13 and a half years by the time I came out here. And one of the challenges that I faced was that I didn't have any junior Marines. You know, I was, uh, you know, somewhat seasoned staff sergeant already at the time, uh, holding billets like company gunnery sergeant, platoon sergeant, uh, section leader for, you know, five, six years prior, uh, having that type of experience and then coming out here. And again, being the Lance Corporal PFC, actually doing the work and out here on the grind. So uh, not having Marines to rely upon on a day-to-day basis and having that support, uh, not being able to, you know, delegate things, you know, um, having that aspect kind of makes it difficult, especially, you know, being, uh, you know, a seasoned NCO, staff NCO coming out here on this duty. Um, but again, if you approach it with the mentality that you're not going to quit, uh, you have that resiliency. Um, again, I'm always up for a challenge. So when people would tell me, hey, look, this is hard duty, you know, again, I heard them, but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to stray away from uh, the challenge of, you know, accepting this billet of, uh, you know, becoming a, a recruiter. Um, because, I mean, if you don't know, I, I volunteered to come out here. I was actually disqualified. And that's what took me so long to get out here is I was disqualified from coming out here uh, and I had to get several waivers just to come out on recruiting duty. And I would tell you, even though I said earlier how hard it was, I have zero regrets. Uh, I've grown so much as an individual out here and learned so much about myself uh, and just became a more effective communicator. Um, And I think I'm taking that back to the fleet and I'll be, uh, you know, more well-rounded than I would have been if I didn't came out here. Um, So what I would just say is, is, um, you know, I think people may find it difficult to, to be out here doing actual work um, as, a, as an NCO, staff NCO, and not having Marines to, to rely upon to, to get the, the, you know, the, the, mission, uh, the mission completed. Cool. Now, now, let's try to answer the CO's question. So his question was, 
you know why do we why is every like four weeks why do we have a new marine tapping out why you know why are marines quitting and when, when i well, say tap out quit, let's 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 quantify that um and we literally have marines saying i can't be a recruiter i need to go back to the fleet like that happened today yesterday a staff sergeant i i need to go back to the fleet i can't do recruiting you know like what are we talking about man and i'll tell you my my belief i think it's a couple things but i think because that's actually an option like that's an option because the truth of the matter is depending on how we address it the end state is the marine is going to leave so why is that an option you know so how would you go about that though we just remove the option and you keep him out here on recruiting duty then or it's it's not it's not a well it's not a simple i know i'm asking the question of why is that an option but it's not a simple solution of just saying it shouldn't be an option i think more what i'm saying by why isn't an option is where else in the marine corps have you just been able to not i don't mean allowed to but i think where in the culture of the marine corps has someone uh been in an environment where that happened have you ever known an administrator to just be like this is too hard I, I want to do something else in the Marine Corps and just tap. I mean, no, they might, you know, move down a position or they might go work at another shop, but they're still doing administrative functions. So I think the thing that gets I me mean, is recruiting is very challenging. We know that we don't need to spend hours talking about that, but are we not Marines? So here's an example. Let me, let me keep it real with you. I am not a recruiter. I'm a commanding officer of a recruiting station. Do you think this job is hard for me? Well, okay, so I'm going to answer that question first okay. because I see it from a different yep, angle. I see you every single day. Yep. Um, anytime you're mad, you know, I could hear it because yeah. I could hear you from across the hall even when you're not mad. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, but people don't want to hear my answer. People want to hear the answer from a recruiter, right? Okay. So, so the answer is yes, I, I do. And I would tell, tell you that my perspective on it has changed a lot uh, since I work in the operations section versus when I was a, a canvassing recruiter on the streets. So I think I, I don't point that out just to, for y'all to tell the crowd that, you know, my job's hard. Um, I say it because I, I don't live in the world of a recruiter. I'm not trying to imply that. But if anyone hearing my voice believes there hasn't been times I sat in my office with my, my face in my hands wanting to walk out and quit, you're crazy. That has happened. Man, it's, it's Tuesday, and that already happened this week. Seriously, all right? But I'm not going to do that. What a trip. Because, because I'm a Marine. <laughs> I am a Marine. And... I will not come to a point where an assignment breaks me to the point that I'm unwilling to do what my responsibility is for the organization. Because at the end of the day, even though I'm the CEO, if I tapped out today, all right, go down to Paris Island, turn it in, sir, I'm done. Guess what? Somebody still got to do the job. So the only person I gave any relief was myself, and I really didn't because I just ruined my career in doing that. And that's what I don't understand. Where's the mentality that doesn't exist anywhere else? We don't have this happening. And at least in the, the, the quantity 
that we do on recruiting right. of recruiters just giving up. Yeah, so, I mean, at first you had said that it was an option, and you're right. The fact that a recruiter could get out of this duty and uh, all, they, all they get is a page 11, and then even them, it does, it's not held against them because it's just an administrative document saying, hey. So what we're talking about is, is a, a good of service relief and a relief for cause relief. The relief for cause carries some sting. You're being relieved of your responsibility as a recruiter because you have done something wrong. A good of service is saying for the good of the service, to include the Marine, you're being relieved of your duty. And since I've been on this duty for 27 months, we've had one, maybe two hours. Yeah, yeah. So I've been here just a little longer than you, sir. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, I do all the packages. But, right. But uh, I've only seen one RFC, and then I've seen multiple dozens of GOSs. Right. So... I'm not saying we need to be out here hammering people, but I think there's a lot of people. And I've, I've even heard this with respect to commanding officers. I've heard this come out of people's mouths with respect to recruiting station CEOs that it's this is not a place for a good Marine officer to have his career ruined based on performance. I mean, and is that I mean, because think about that. Now, this is the problem I have with something like that. Well, what if Colonel X believes that in. 4th Marine Corps District, but Colonel Y doesn't believe that in 6th Marine Corps District. And now my performance is the same as my counterpart, but he survives because his boss doesn't think he should hold him accountable because it's just recruiting, and I get fired. Is that is that okay? Are there RSs in the nation that are, recruiters are, are being held accountable at a higher rate than Atlanta? You know? I don't know the answer to that. But... I just don't understand where Marines think. I, I've never been in a place where Marines just tap out the way they do on recruiting. Question, sir. Do you think the culture of being a Marine is shifting and that's the direct result so of it you, you on, say, on recruiting duty? Well, um, you know, since you say that, my son, uh, I, I think that has to be a part of it. How could it not? Because you, know? you, you say, you know, I've, me being on recruiting duty uh, 10 plus years and I've ran uh, two stations and three RSs. I've uh, been in three RSs. That's the most I've ever heard of uh, right. this current culture. Uh, back in the days, it wasn't an option. Uh, you either got off the duty in a negative form or you stayed your, your entire 36 months. I've seen a Marine out here where he wrote one contract consistently for 36 months. Now, when he left here, you know, he, his fit rep didn't look good, but he stayed and he understood the consequences of quitting. And uh, I believe the culture of the Marine Corps is changing where commanders are afraid to hold Marines accountable because of suicides and, you know, PTSD and everything else. So that may be attributing to the fact that a Marines can walk in here or feel like they can walk in here and say, hey, I'm no longer going to be uh I no longer want to be a recruiter. Sir. So, so you open a door that I won't go too deep into this one, but I think as the as the one in the room who can speak to this, you know, this is when keeping it real can go wrong. And the wrong person hears this and, and takes it out of context and takes beef from me saying it. It is still my thought, and, and I still think it's accurate. But you talked about the commanders and the 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 fear associated with being able to use the tools at their disposal. I would argue that that may be true, but I also feel that a lot of the tools that a commander actually has are not actually in our hands. There are, there are a tremendous amount of tools on this duty 
that I feel like as a field grade commanding officer are at my disposal in other places that are not at my disposal now. Great example. Uh, well, I, I don't want to be too specific with that because I really don't want to get a phone call about something I do or don't say. But I think that's a part of it. So you start, my, my word, we can have a whole show on trust. The erosion of trust. Absolutely, sir. Because if I'm, if I'm not trusted, then how much am I going to trust you? And if you're not trusted, how much are you going to trust the sergeant? And so there's some of that working its way down through this thing, too. When, when we have this conversation, I think about uh, don't be the last Marine holding the bag. Yeah. Um, I, I remember running a station where I've handled certain things at my level. And, you know, I'll go to the Sergeant Major after it's handled. The Sergeant Major blast me like, hey, Marine, why are you the last individual holding the bag? Going back to the culture, back in the days, the culture was, hey, you handle it at your level exactly. and you keep it pushing. And, um, and, and that will get you in trouble. I have personally experienced doing something that was well within my, my, my legal authority as a commander and then being, you know, reprimanded, I guess that's the word, or chastised about not giving notification or asking permission. And I'm confused because I'm like, wait a minute. I am legally authorized to do what I did. I was comfortable in doing it. It was the correct decision. There's no associated negative recourse with it. But now I'm I'm being told, well, you basically should have asked for permission. Uh, that's But that's a, a culture shift in the Marine Corps. And I haven't been doing this too long, but I've been doing it long enough to see that change. Yes, sir. That has changed in in, in the, the 14, 15 years I've been in Marine Corps. So with the culture shift, sir, do you believe that's the reason why Marines are, do you think that's one of the reasons why Marines are allowed to come in here uh, and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm no longer, con- uh, I no longer want to be a Marine. I think, it, I think it's a part of it. Yes, but I think, it, I think the root of it actually starts where, where we started this conversation. What is this duty to the Marine Corps? Oh. If you went to the PX on Camp Majeure right now and you stopped five Marines and you just asked them, tell me snapshot recruiting duty, all five of them are going to tell you something negative. That's a problem because we live in this world and I can tell you this is hard duty. But I would argue that if someone grabs me right now and asks me that, I'm going to give them a very diverse answer that does not paint recruiting in the negative light that the average Marine does. It'll be realistic, but I'm going to recognize the benefits associated with this duty because the truth of the matter is I've encountered Marines that are drill instructors, that are recruiters, that are MSG, and I can tell you I will take the recruiter 10 times out of 10 over any other Marine, hands down, no questions asked. And that was before I came on this duty. Why? Because the ability to listen, assess the situation, and communicate clearly to achieve a desired result is something that most Marines fail at. They absolutely fail at. And recruiters do it every single day, multiple, multiple times. The bit of advice that I would give someone uh, is it's all in your mentality, all right? You know, a lot of stress it's a lot of stress out here on recruiting duty, but that's all it is. It's stress. It's like, it's no real danger out here. Like we're not uh, ducking rounds and, you know, we're not getting shot at, you know, no, your, your, your buddy to your left and your right is not bleeding out or anything like that. Um, and it's, we can really convince ourselves that it's a lot worse than what it is. Uh, if you just really just dial back and just understand that, okay, yeah, you're stressed out, but like, you know, you're still going home. You're seeing your family at the end of the night. 
um, you know, your life isn't in danger. You know, you can really put things back into perspective and, you know, um, I guess it can, um, you know, minimize the, the, the amount of pressure that you put on yourself to get you to a situation where you want to quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, just to add to that, I think the biggest thing that that we as people, as Marines need to understand is that if you're when when you come to recruiting duty, if you do not know yourself, you will struggle. It's, it's one of the biggest things that I've learned since I've been out here. You're, you're going to be sleep deprived. That's a given. You're going to have kids that you just can't get to. You're going to have situations that are out of your control. This duty is a lot of action, but it's also a lot of luck. You got to, you know, that person has to be qualified, has to make it through maps, has to have the right paperwork, whatever. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of what is out of your control is also considered your fault. And if you don't know how to look yourself in the mirror and remind yourself of who you are every day and remind yourself that no matter if today was a good day or a bad day, that you still have another day tomorrow to attack it and try again, you're going to really struggle. I think a lot of recruiters come out here and they're exposed that, you, you know, your life may be easy in the fleet. You know, you have a set job. You got to you come in at this time. You do this, you do that and you, you leave out here on recruiting duty. Hey, it's a dog eat dog eat world out here. And it's not a cookie cutter type schedule. And if you're not used to making your own schedule and, you know, inspiring yourself every single day, you're going to come out here and you're just going to lose yourself. You're going to drown in how much there really is. So again, my biggest piece of knowledge is, you know, get to get to know yourself before you come out here, find the hobbies that you like, find things that you enjoy and write them down because there will come a time where you forget who you were prior to being out here. And you're going to need to look back and say, okay, you need to reset and start again because you're still a Marine. You're still who you are and you're still in the fight. Come back to the question of why Marines are allowed to, to quit out here. Uh, I believe that's the culture. But one thing I want to add to it is that when you come out here as a, a brand new recruiter, um, one thing you got to understand is the culture of recruiting duty is unlike any other place in the United States Marine Corps. This is the one place in the Marine Corps, I believe, that your work is absolutely your work. Your work is your work. Meaning that, hey, if you get up in the morning and you do absolutely nothing for the entire day, you're going to pay for it at the end of the day. Uh, unlike the operating forces, if you do absolutely nothing, there's tomorrow. And you know you're not going to come in Saturday. You know that, hey, I can attack this on Monday. Well, out here, it's completely different. Your work is your work. And for anyone coming out here, just, just know that, hey, I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to come out here with the proper mindset and quitting is not an option. And ultimately, I'm going to be. Um, something I want to add on because I haven't really said something here in a minute. I kind of just want to touch on it real quick and then we're going to we're going to wrap it up. But I have heard Marines that have said on this duty that or have given advice to other Marines that if you want to get out of this duty, there are certain actions that you need to take. And that's astonishing to me. The fact that I and it's, 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 it's crazy to me now because I'm thinking about it. The fact that I even allowed them to say that. You know, the fact that you 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 could quit. That's just crazy. Yeah, I know it's whatever. Um, I just I just had to say my piece on that. But uh, I'd really also didn't say what one piece of advice I would give a recruiter. Um, what I would tell you just from an administrative side of point is. Uh, reach out to your to your new command um obviously we all know you're coming but as you know just reach out to whoever's going to be your your staffing so i see reach out to your admin shop just ask 
you know what is what's going to be expected of you on that first day because too many times recruiters will come and check in and you know just be clueless for that for that first day um and a couple key things here from what i've heard from what i've taken away from you uh sir is uh and i'm gonna take this back if i am if i'm ever a marine recruiter is that's exactly what it is you are a marine first and then you're a recruiter you're not a recruiter and you're also just not a marine you're a, you're a marine you're, you're always going to be marine but you are a marine recruiter um don't forget that okay too many times and i know i've i've been challenged uh myself in this duty um you know and i kind of forgot forgotten just a little bit that i was a marine um i got too comfortable you know so i had to revamp and uh you know what's the word i'm looking for man um reassess you know the situation that i was in and then think to myself holy shit i am a marine out here i'm just not a you know even though i'm not near a base and i talk about it all the time how uh, i'm kind of lucky that i'm not in the base you know i kind of get to take a break from you know every day 24 7 united states marine corps um, but i had to reassess my mentality and to remind myself that i am a marine so for if you are a marine recruiter out there right now don't forget that, you know, because once these three years are up for you, guess, guess where you're going. You're going back to the Fleet Marine Corps. Or you're probably getting out, which uh, a lot, of, you know, not a lot of Marines do. I, I'd say about 10%. Yeah. And then the quitters go back to the, to, to the fleet and stuff like that. But uh, with that being said, does anyone have any departing words? Hey, just... Come on, recruiting duty and do your job. Stop finding all the reasons you can't. Stop finding all the reasons it's too hard to do. Trust your training and do your job. Because at the end of the day, we're just on one long hike that's called recruiting. And when you drop your pack, we still need your gear. So somebody's got to carry it. It's that simple. If I quit today, my ex-ho's got to take my job and somebody's got to take his job. Somebody's got to command. So if you can't do your job because you're not good enough, because you don't want to, for whatever reason, you're incapable of doing your job. Just remember, we're picking your pack up and now somebody's carrying two packs and that's crap. So don't be that guy or girl. All right, y'all. I appreciate you guys.